This is Points North, a podcast about the land, water, and inhabitants of the Great Lakes. I'm Ellie Katz, in for Dan Wanshera. About a year ago, three friends were ice fishing on Lake Huron, having a good time, catching fish, flipping burgers. Then out of nowhere, the wind shifted and the ice they were fishing on broke away. They were stranded, floating on ice. Today's episode is told by our very own Dan Wanshera on the podcast Snap Judgment from KQED and PRX. I'll let host Glenn Washington take it from here. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the quagmire episode. Next up, we're going back to my homeland, the Great Lakes State, Michigan, in the dead of winter, getting into a car with some friends and driving up about two hours north of Detroit to the edge of Lake Huron. Fast, frozen, deadly. From Interlocking Public Radio's Points North podcast, we proudly present No Ice is Safe Ice. Snap Judgment. Jeremy Holman met Steve Geistel Jr. almost 30 years ago when they were both racing stock cars on dirt tracks across Michigan. I mean, Steve is... That's my dude, that's my best friend. Soon they were spending all their time together hunting and fishing. And when they weren't doing that, they'd be on the phone for hours sharing stories. We talk three, four times a week and we can talk to each other about everything. We don't judge each other. He's my brother. Their favorite place to fish is Saginaw Bay in Lake Huron. It's located between Michigan's thumb and pointer finger. That's where Steve grew up fishing. Beautiful walleye fishery, yeah, best around. Ain't uncommon at all to get your limits every day, eight, eight, eight fish per man, you know. I just, I just target walleye, that's all I do. To me, it's the best taste of fish in the world. The fishing in Saginaw Bay isn't so good, it's great. It's beyond great, and it just makes you want to come back. It's addicting. But the bay is also unpredictable. The Great Lakes is the way it is. Sometimes you can fish and sometimes you can't, you know, and that's, that's the way it is. Like the time Jeremy and Steve were out fishing and a storm rolled in. I said, homie, we gotta get the hell out of here, man. This ain't like Muskegon Lake or White Lake. This is the Great Lakes, buddy. You know, we already got three or four foot rollers. Even with big waves crashing into their boat, Jeremy didn't want to leave. Steve is the most cautioned person that I've ever, ever fished with in my life. It almost come to fist blows, man, because he was mad and I got mad because he got mad because we were staying out there fishing, but you gotta be smart, you know what I mean? Steve won that argument and they made it back to shore. But next winter, when they're headed out to the bay for ice fishing, Steve gets cold feet. I talked to a buddy of mine. He told me, do not by no means go on that bay. It's not safe. He said he had a couple buddies out there the day before, and it was moving all over the place and not to go. When Saginaw Bay isn't all the way frozen, something as slight as a shift in the wind can send cracks in every direction. We had a little bit of heated discussion about it, I'll tell you that, because I didn't want to go. I, really, I knew better, you know what I mean? I didn't want to go out there. I already had paid for the hotel room over there. Uh, all my buddies are sending me pictures that live over there of all these pile of walleyes they were catching. It was stuck in my dome. I'm going. I said, all right. I said, I'll take you, homie. I'll take you. I'm going to drop you off ashore, and I'm going to go check in that hotel room, and I'm going to take a couple hours nap, and then I might hit the bar somewhere and have a couple beers and wait for you guys to get done fishing. I'm not going. Caught up somewhere in the middle of all this is Tulane Bauer the third friend on this guy's fishing trip. We gassed up the truck, we loaded up our equipment, 
and we drove down. Jeremy's in the back seat, sleeping. <laughs> he passed out, stayed up, drove through the whole night. We get there at 6.30 in the morning. Everybody, they're loading up. They're getting ready to go fish. They all looked at me and I, I thought I was the man. I was like, I told you. Well, we get going and we set up day one. It's Tulane's first time on the bay. Fishing was beautiful. You know, it was beautiful day, not a lot of wind, good temperatures. Nighttime came and we got into the fish. You know, we we're hooking fish. We just shy of our limit and we called it a night. Everybody was packing up. So we packed up, we rode out, went to the room, thanking Jeremy, you know. Thank you, man, we're so glad we came, you know. It was such a blast seeing everybody. For me, meeting the guys, you know, it was, it was an experience, you know, and can't wait for tomorrow. The next day, the three friends wake up and ride their snowmobiles about four miles across the ice to their shanties on Saginaw Bay. The ice is a solid eight to 10 inches thick and the wind is blowing from the southwest. It'll, it'll hold the ice in, you know, on the east side of the bay, you know, it'll hold it in there. So I figured we're safe. By mid-afternoon, the guys are getting hungry. Tulane and Steve hop on the snowmobiles. He followed me back to shore to get his lunch, and we crossed this big patch of black ice. As they ride over it, Tulane looks down, right through the ice, all the way to the lake bed. That's, that's scary, so I just have a tendency of just giving it the grip, you know, just squeeze the throttle to the bar real quick, get over it, and then I can ease up. They get back to their fishing spot, cook some burgers. As the sun starts to set, they hook a few more walleye and call it a night. Climbed out of my shade to pack up when an unexpected east wind came in, and I just knew we were in trouble then. Was it a pretty strong wind? Uh, probably about 15 to 20 mile an hour winds, probably. I never paid attention to it. I was just packing stuff up and trying to get out. But Steve said he had noticed the wind had changed. I said, hurry up, boys, pack up. We got to get out of here right away. They head back to shore, Jeremy and Tulane on one snowmobile, Steve on the other. When we were leaving, it was real dark. You know, you got your headlamp and you got your snowmobile machine. You know, you got your, your light there. Steve's in front. I'm following Steve. And he gets to that spot where he thinks it's just black ice. The patch of clear ice where earlier they had been able to look down and see the bottom of the lake. So we was just going to skip over it. Well, it was open water. And I'd just seen Steve go down, man, headlight underwater. And it was like a big wave come up and just boom, Steve was down. And I watched my best friend sink. Like, I've never seen nothing sink that fast in my life. He was gone quick there was you didn't even see his taillights go down slowly it went down fast Ooh, disappeared the temperature of the water is 32.4 degrees when you're submerged in water that cold your blood vessels constrict spiking your blood pressure which can cause heart failure if you don't drown first and i've always been taught you go through the ice out there, it's a death sentence, you know what I mean? It's, it's, chances are you're not gonna make it. It's fear, is all I can say. It, it ain't a drilling or nothing, it's just, it's just fear. I can imagine just thinking you're gonna die, you know what I mean? That's the feeling you got, you know you're gonna die. I knew I was dying, you know? And they couldn't see me because it's so dark out. Jeremy and Tulane have stopped just short of the water themselves. And I was almost in it. 
That's when the race car driver in Jeremy kicks in. And I turned the skis to the right on my snowmobile with Talane on the back of it with me. And I pinned it to get away from Steve because all three of us didn't need to be in the water. He takes off. If I didn't get up the safe ice, there was no way we were ever going to get to Steve if we were in there ourselves. But Tulane can't believe what Jeremy's doing. And I'm hitting his back, man. Steve's down, Steve's down, and he's just going 50, 60 yards away the opposite direction. I mean, I just felt like he was leaving Steve. And I, I hit his helmet. Wham! And I told him Steve went down, and he kind of let off the throttle. And when he did, I bailed. Tulane jumps off the snowmobile and starts running towards Steve, who's barely breathing. His winter face mask is soaking wet and stifling every breath. Panic sets in. Because, you know, you're trying to kick and paddle, you know, and it wasn't really doing you no good because the weight, you know. I, I bet you I weighed probably 300 pounds more than my body weight just by water weight, you know, from my boots being full of water and suit soaked. And my, all my clothes were drenched, of course. But Steve does have something helping him. His dad, who passed away in August, was also an avid ice fisherman. And before he died, he bought himself a new float suit. A bib overalls and jacket combo with built-in flotation. So when he died, my mom asked me if I wanted his new float suit. I said, yeah, I'll take it, Ma. It's not a life jacket, but it can help keep a person above water for a couple hours. So I think my dad had a hand in saving my ass that day. <laughs> Steve keeps kicking towards the edge of the ice. Tulane is crawling towards him. Steve's still about 15 yards away from the edge of the ice, you know, in the water. I get on my belly, and Steve hits the ice, and he's holding on, you know, and... I told him the white safe then, bro, it just broke apart. It's eight inches thick, I can feel it. I'm right on the edge of the ice, I can feel how thick the ice is. So I grab hold of Steve, and I tell him, I'm not letting you go, brother, you know? And he's got me, and he's like, you gotta get me out of here, dude. You know, and I go to pull him, and Steve's, he's a big guy. And now you got that big guy with all his equipment, his gear, you know, his, his float suit and his boots, his helmet, you know, full of water. He's even heavier now. So I go to pull Steve like it's going to be easy. <laughs> it was not. I could barely move him. And I got even more scared. So I put myself on the edge, you know, and I tried to pull real hard. Well, when I did, we cracked just that little edge and I kind of fell. And had a small wave go down my float suit. And when that wave hit my skin down my coat, man, it felt like I got a million needles poked into me. It was so cold, it was immediate. <gasps> you know, it took my breath, my power, man. I just felt myself instantly tense up and I was like, oh my God, I'm useless now. I looked over and I see my buddy Jeremy standing there about 50 feet away and I yelled at him. He was screaming and hollering get me out of here, I'm dying. And I'm dying over here, man, it ain't thin ice, come get me. Jeremy finally snaps out of it. And he grabs my feet, and when Jeremy started to pull us, it felt like it was forever, honestly, it was probably three to five minutes, you know, of a struggle getting getting Steve out of the water. When, when we hit the ice with him, Jeremy let go of me and I pulled Steve another couple feet. I got up and walked away. I had to breathe, man. You know, and uh, Steve's like, we got to set up the shanty. The shanty has a propane heater to keep them warm while fishing. And I'm looking, and it's <laughs> it's not there. And I'm like, where is the shanty? And Jeremy's like, 
it's gone. It was on the sled with Steve's sled, and I'm like, oh no. Hypothermia will set in if Steve doesn't get warm fast. We're wide open, exposed. Steve's soaking wet. I'm wet. I didn't know if we were going to make it. But then another ice fisherman spots them on the ice. He speeds over on his snowmobile, takes Steve back to his shanty, and cranks up the heat inside. Man, I was still shivering uncontrollably. You know, I mean, it was a little bit of the fear not knowing that I'm not safe yet completely. Just then, Jeremy spots another group of ice fishermen snowmobiling towards shore. They're heading straight towards the open water. I was like, dang, so I need to stop these people. This time, Jeremy doesn't hesitate. He runs to his snowmobile and starts flashing his lights for them to stop. And he stopped them, guys. You know, they stopped right, literally probably three feet before Steve went in. All told, there's 14 of them trapped on this huge chunk of ice, being blown out into Lake Huron by near gale force winds. It was chaos out there. We're speaking with other people that are a little bit further away from us and trying to assure them the ice in between them is good and meeting with people to bring them over with the group. And They come up with a plan, sit tight and wait for help to arrive. That's when Jeremy notices another one of the ice fishermen getting agitated. Didn't really say nothing, just mumbling. You could tell he was upset. Then the guy hops back on his snowmobile and takes off. And all of a sudden he gets out there a ways and I just hear his snowmobile turn wide open, watch the headlights come, I already knew what he was doing. He's heading for open water. It's not uncommon for snowmobilers to cross water between cracks of ice. With enough speed, the snowmobile can skim right on top of it. But this is no small crack. It's about 400 yards of open water. <laughs> this is going to sound really bad, but I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, like anybody, I mean, something dumb's going to happen. You're going to watch. I know I'm going to have a bigger snowmobile than him. If he made it, and it did cross my mind. I'm like, I'm going too. He made it a long ways, I ain't gonna lie, probably three quarters of the way. He did, I was like, he's gonna make it. He's gonna make it. And all of a sudden you heard the snowmobile just start dogging down, whoa, and I was like, this guy is, he's a goner. I just watched somebody die is the first thing that went through my head. But suddenly, the ice fisherman bobs to the surface. Eventually, we watched him get out of the ice. You could see him over there. He was so far away. He looked like maybe he was a foot tall. He was that far away. And you could see his flashlight turn on on his phone. So at that point, we knew at least he was out of the water. But your journey ain't over yet. They were going to find him curled up in a ball or standing up like a popsicle somewhere. Back in the ice shanty, Steve is still trying to warm up. His core body temperature has dropped. It felt like my whole body was on fire. So it felt like, like you were burning, you know what I mean? And then, you know, all the ice is cracking all around you, and every time you look up that shanty, and open water's getting closer and closer to you, you know, you know you're not a danger yet. And I'm, ex I'm so exhausted and spent. And I told these guys in the shanty, I said, man, if I go in the water again, guys, I'm a goner. I'm telling you, I ain't be able to fight no more. I'm just, I can't, I'm exhausted. You know, I, I really was. From the ice... Jeremy can see first responders assembling a rescue mission. 
you could see the whole shore lit up. There was cops and ambulances from every town in the state of Michigan there. It was, it looked like a city. You could hear the airboats up on the shore. After about two hours of waiting, a Huron County Sheriff's airboat is the first to arrive on scene. Anybody out here? Then another boat arrives, piloted by a local guy who inadvertently makes things way more dangerous. We all lost our breath screaming at him, telling him to get the hell away from us because he's, all he was doing is breaking up ice. The ice at that time was our lifeline. That's all we had was that ice, that little bit of ice that we were on. So he didn't put us in no more danger. He backed out of it. But the sheriff's airboat is able to pull up close enough to Steve. We got Steve on the boat. Well, actually, he ended up picking the guy up that we call him uh, Jesus now. The fisherman who'd driven his snowmobile into the water. Picked up Jesus before he got to Steve. On the slow ride back, one of the emergency responders starts talking to Steve. He asked my name. I told him, Steve, do you realize 90% of the time we come out here for rescues is usually to recover a body? He goes, you're a 10%er, and don't ever forget that. Soon, U.S. Coast Guard helicopters show up, and they start scooping up the rest of the fishermen trapped on the ice. I knew right then I'm going home. They dropped that basket, and I did a swan dive on that son of a bitch. <laughs> Those that were last rescued had reached a distance of about six miles. So altogether, we drifted about two and a half, three miles. Steve is the first to admit it. He's his own man. And he made the decision to go ice fishing. I was pissed. He knew it too. But, you know, if he just would have listened to me. I think it was me being his best friend. I wasn't the first one to him. I think he felt like... I should have been the first one to him to get him out, which is probably correct, I guess. I panicked. He's seen that I panicked. I was scared, but the way I see it, we got him out. Don't matter how we got him out, we got him out. And that's all what matters. He's home. He's safe. He kept me up until 5 o'clock this morning. <laughs> Some bitch. chatting on the phone yeah we do all the time that's how we hang out with each other when he gets out of work he'll call and he'll drink beer over the phone while i drink over <laughs> we're dumb <laughs> do you think you'll go fishing with with jeremy again oh yeah oh that's never gonna change no me and jeremy have been buddies for years and we race together we fish together we hunted together but i ain't gonna let him talk me into doing nothing stupid again <laughs> He'll know what I'm saying when he hears this. I hope that he learned that you got to respect her. Cause he, he, I taught him how to fish out there. I took him out for the first time in Saginaw Bay and taught him how to fish it. And I always told him the same thing I was taught. You got to respect her, man, because if you don't, she's going to get you. Steve, Jeremy, and Tulane. Thank you for sharing your story with us. This episode was originally aired on Points North, a 
podcast from Inwalken Public Radio in the lower peninsula of the Great Lakes state of Michigan. The original score was by Clay Xavier. It was edited by Nancy Lopez and John Facile. It was produced by Dan Winshura. Mm-hmm.